looking at the life of Joseph, who goes essentially from a little boy and his family to prison pits, to uh, accused of crimes he didn't do, to becoming prime minister in the greatest nation of the world at that time, straight out of prison. And um, it is so good to be, I'm so excited for this series and all that God is doing with us as a church. But we're preaching this series and, and I, I love the fact that we can call people to be a people who are trusting God for things. I realize the buckets are still going around, that's okay. We trust in God for things. And we preached last week as we jumped into this series that God is on the move and we navigate in the series. And we're not just preaching this life of Joseph where you see Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, we encounter a 17-year-old man and then his death at 110. That's not just what we're looking at. We're looking at God's story. But as we look at his life, I want to tell you, I preach this and when I read the Bible, I, I, I see a man walking. This is history. It's not mythology. It's not the myth of Joseph that God, it's, it's a man who walked this earth and God did things like orchestrate things in his life and facilitate things in his life that looked like pits, that looked like prisons, but ended as prime minister of the greatest nation at that time, seeing salvation come to a nation and to his people. And as we preach it, I want to tell you that there's some big ideas as we preach the promotable life. What do I mean? Well, I, number one and big idea number one that we'll preach through the series, remember this is a series so I'm not trying to finish it today. It's really hard because we know the end and it's exciting. But God wants to teach us and lead us as his people. That's why we're given the word of God and the scriptures to navigate that we would grow. First and foremost, that promotion, although it overlaps, is not exactly the same as blessing. Well, Mark, that's a little controversial. I'm hashtag blessed. You are hashtag blessed. You are. As Ephesians tells us, with every spiritual blessing has been poured out. And they're heavenly realms because of Jesus. You are. But why is it that we look at a guy like Joseph and we look at some people in their lives, there seems to be promotion and God's elevation, God's favor on their story ongoingly. What I would present to you that as we look at Joseph's story, there seem to be some factors, some decisions, and some ways that he navigated life and especially the low points of his life that opened up promotion in his life. I look at some of the people around, I know some of the stories, I go, wow, look at that incredible story of grace and favor. But behind the scenes, what people don't know is the work, is the integrity, are decisions that have been made to trust God. Secondly, the big idea that promotion comes from God, not your boss, not your CEO, not the minister of finance, from God. The Bible says it this way. Psalm 75, for exaltation or promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. And he puts one down, he puts down one and exalts another. It's God. Which means actually, on one hand, we have to settle and rest in that place. But I do think believers tend to get stuck in the extremes. One extreme, I deserve nothing. I'm happy to just crawl into heaven one day by the skin of my teeth. Just, will God let me in? No, wrong understanding. You're going to walk in like a son of the living God into his house with courage and confidence. But on the other side, there's a gospel preached. You deserve everything. It's all about you. And I want to tell you, it's not all about you. It's about God. But we desire the promotion in our lives, all of us, that God has for us. Why? So that he can get the glory. He's jealous for his glory. 
So he doesn't want you to be so humble. I don't deserve anything. That you never get him the glory that he's designed from your life. And on the other side, we've got to make sure we don't start taking what's not ours. And as we navigate those last big idea, and it's a big one, that God's got it. What do I mean? Well, number one, we believe in a sovereign God. Don't think King Charles when you think sovereign. Don't. It's an unhelpful image in, in the Bible. To, of Sovereign means God's in control. That when God said, let there be light, there ain't no load shedding. There's just light and life and God pouring out. He can do it because he said it. He doesn't need to ask permission. He doesn't need to apply for it. He just does it. In any context, in any life, in any situation, above every authority in this life, there's the sovereign king. But slightly different, yet attached to sovereignty, is his providence. The fact that he would use his mighty hand to orchestrate lives. And as you'll see in the life of Joseph, God is always in control. And yet, if you take a split-second highlights reel at 17 years old, it looks like chaos. Last week, we preached about the hand-me-downs. And part of Joseph's story, he's famous for the coat he wears, and today we look at his dream coat. But last week, before we even get his story in Psalm 37, you get the hand-me-downs. He got handed deception from Jacob the deceiver, his dad. He got handed sexual chaos. His brother slept with his stepmom. Welcome to the Bible. There's murder. His brothers murdered some dudes who were recovering from circumcision. If you ever thought of the worst way to go, it's like get circumcised, then die. It's just, sorry, that's the way my mind works. And it's like, couldn't you have just taken me first and avoid like double death? And, and, uh, and, and there's uh, sexual chaos, there's all these things, but God's hand ongoingly at work all the time in his life. Why? Because God knew there would come a time when a nation will have seven years of drought and he needs a God-man in that role, in that place, an impossibility, and yet God can do it. So we come to today, and today is called Painful Pitfalls. We with the peas today. It's okay. But I want to just help us as we navigate. There's this promise on his life, and maybe some today as you're navigating this story, maybe it feels like you're in a pit, a pit of death. You know when you're stuck in it, you just, it's like the worst nightmare. You just can't get out. I, I watch my kids watch these Survivor dudes online. They... Um, and these guys put them in impossible scenarios that you, sh you never will. In like your average dude's never going to get stuck in a pit. And now he's going to get his way out, scale his way out. And there's cockroaches everywhere. It's my worst nightmare, literally. Snakes and cockroaches. I grew up in Durban. I've done cockroaches for multiple lifetimes. No more. And, and, uh, and yet God says, actually, I need my people out of pits of depression that they can't get out. I need my people out of pits of debt. I need my people out of pits of brokenness in relationships. I need them out. So today, as we look at the scripture, we're not preaching the whole story of Joseph. We're looking at his life, and we get introduced to him as a 17-year-old man in Genesis chapter 37. I want to speak first about the pitfall of preference. I'm speaking about his father's favoritism. It starts like this. Now Jacob, Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, 
who Jacob gets renamed then, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. The challenge is, it says, now Israel, new name that was given to Jacob, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. We don't have to guess it just because the tunic, the Bible tells us, the Bible's honest. I want to help us a little bit today. Last week, I wore some of Jerry's thrifting hand-me-downs. I just want to help us with some imagery. Will you pass my jacket there, buddy? I bought this jacket. Felt fancy at the time. And walking with Gabriel, and then realized I didn't have any really fancy jackets to show you until I remembered. Be prepared to be amazed. Are you ready? Are you ready? Drum roll. As if the 75% off price tag wasn't enough. I got two for one. <laughs> but I have never worn it this way. It just feels like I'm sticking out for days. And, um, and yet, Joseph gets given a jacket by his dad because the Bible says he favored him more than all his other sons. He had 11 sons, eh? 11 and a daughter. And yet the, his father chooses, and the Bible answers us simply this, Why? Wasn't the best looking? No, he says he was, that he had been born to him in his old age. We know that. He wasn't the youngest, though. Benjamin was the youngest. But he was born to him in old age, and Benjamin was probably only born when he was 10. So he would have had nine or 10 years being daddy's puppy. You know the puppy. Everyone loves a puppy. My littlest, Daniel, when he was born, he used to call me Papa. So, so we called him Puppy. So he's always been called Puppy. And it's really hard sometimes. You know, there's no doubt the oldest gets the hardest time. There's no doubt. Even as parents, we get to that stage, we repent. Because the youngest gets away with murder. And, and, and so along comes Joseph and his dad goes, Oh, son, while I was in my old age, I get given this gift. And he's the first son of Rachel, the woman that his father Jacob worked for for 14 years. You want to marry Rachel? Sure. Work for seven, he gets Leah. Oh, my gosh. Has to work for another seven with no pay just to win the heart of Rachel and to marry Rachel. So we get this awkward scenario where there's favoritism in the story. Now, sure, Jacob, his dad, had his own daddy issues. I'm sure that's getting played out. But he gets this coat. It's valuable. It's fancy. It's also a, a coat would be a sign and symbol of leadership. Leadership should have passed to Reuben. But again, read the Bible. It's saucy. It's interesting because Reuben stepped with his dad's. New wife, Zilpa, challenge. And so it bypasses him all the way down to this younger 17-year-old boy, and the brothers are stewing now. And so there's this pitfall that gets presented, and I just want to present it like that. I'm not saying that's the reason. I'm not saying that'll be the end, but I want to tell you about a pitfall in many lives, in the promotion God wants to do in our lives. It's this pitfall, preference. Words like they and them. Embracing difference as some sort of justification to not move closer toward. And Jacob had his reasons to prefer his youngest son, his, his second or youngest son. But it caused chaos in his family. The favoritism that poured out on Joseph, although Joseph naive in it and quite young in it, it caused absolute chaos in a family scenario. And we just got to read it, present it and say, I cannot have a heart that favoritism determines who I spend my time with. 
who I spend my energy with, who I build life with, who we'll have for dinner. God wants to rip that stuff out of the church because it's a pitfall that leads to chaos. I simply want to say that. Secondly, in the life of Joseph, I would present this, the pitfall of immaturity. Why? Well, let's read. It says this, in, in, and I mentioned it last week in 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I think we all love the first part. Humble yourself, that he may lift you up. And, and most people think the scripture just ends there. Boom. No, that he may lift you up in due time. That in his timing, not my timing. And we're dealing with a 17-year-old Joseph who the promise on his life is he would be prime minister one day. God knew that, but no one else. Joseph just got a dream at a young age, and he would be a prime minister one day. But he gets, and this story plays out in Genesis 37. Read with me. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, who knows if your younger brother ever says the word behold to you. You're like, shut up. No one's listening to you. Like, behold, I'll behold you, but. So behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, again, a problem. My sheaves rose, and it also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you going, really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he should have stopped. <laughs> now, he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Having the dream wasn't the problem. And here's the thing, the dream wasn't wrong. You see in Genesis 35, uh, 43 and later in 48, his brothers do come. And they do bow down to him, all of them, as they are in desperate need of support. And when he's prime minister, they don't even recognize him. And he doesn't even speak their language. He's taken on the native language of the land. And they come and bow down before him. It comes true. That wasn't the problem in the situation. That wasn't the pitfall. The pitfall was his immaturity. At 17 years old, he didn't know what to do with the dream of God. And most of us don't. And so we challenge and we, we, we run him. And he, his decision is, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to my brothers and tell them all about the dream. The first one, you're going to bow down to me. Like, are we really going to? He says, actually, I got one more. <laughs> Who knows that's not going to go well? It's just not, it's not going to end well. I had a friend, and he had a great job at, at, at a multinational company and had been promoted to a high level, was running a factory. And he got called one day, he called me one day, distraught. I could hear the, the, the fear and I could hear the emotion and I said, what's wrong? He said, no, he's just got an order, he has to release, I think it was 18 jobs. But pretty high level people who had worked in the organization for a number of years. At the time he was probably 28. And I could hear he was wrestling this. He said, what do I do? I said, well, bud, you got to understand he's not, he's not some light. He's got MBA, he's got degrees, he's good at his job, but now he's saying, God, what is it? So we speak on, on the Wednesday, on the Friday, he hands out the letters for, for jobs being lost. On the Saturday night, he falls asleep, 
Wakes up Sunday morning and phones me at hopper six in the morning. My phone rings. I said, what is it? His name's Kai. I said, Kai, what is it? He said, I had a dream. Now, you've got to know, when Christians have said to me over my life, I've had a dream, it's either been a great blessing in my life, or you definitely think they had some bad chicken the night before. Like, it's somewhere, there's generally never the middle road. It's like, it's like bad or really amazing. So he says to me, I had a dream. Tells me this dream, and he says, what do I do? Because essentially, God had given him a strategy, a strategy on how to save these jobs, all of them. I said to him, tomorrow morning, phone your HR director, Big Lani and Joburg. Don't say this. I had a dream. <laughs> Just don't say that. Now, maybe you're saying, Mark, but he did have a dream. I'm not lying, but I'm telling you, you phone the HR director of one of the biggest companies in the world and say, I had a dream, and he's going to go, of course you did. No. Present to him the strategy, the dream, the wisdom of heaven that has been gifted and given to you. It's not yours. God gave it to you. Present it. Every one of those jobs were saved. Everyone. The job loss is rescinded. I tell you that story because I'm telling you, God does want to work with dreams, but God wants to deal with our immaturity that often cuts in on the processes and the promotion he wants to do. And there's far too many believers walking around with dreams, but in nappies. Honestly where we can't look after ourselves, but we have the answers for everyone else. And God says, no, I need to grow up my church into maturity. That's so much of the Bible is about. Because why? Because I want to get my glory. He's not worried about you and your promotion. That's just the byproduct of his goodness. He wants his glory. He wants his glory. He is jealous for his glory. And he wants to deal with the aspect of our immaturity. See, the key differences between Joseph as a 17-year-old and Joseph as a, as a 30-something, I think it's 28, he, he's a young prime minister of a nation. At 17, he didn't know what to do with the dream. See, another situation happens years later as Pharaoh has a dream. You know what's amazing about that situation? Pharaoh comes and says, is there anyone? Everyone tries, but no, we can't do this. They get a man from a prison named Joseph. He's in prison clothes. Pharaoh says, this is my dream. He humbly says, I can't do this, Pharaoh. He doesn't go, I can do this. See, I had the gift. He goes, I can't do this, but the God of heaven can. Very different maturity. A very different way of both honoring the authorities we serve, but also walking in the gifting and honoring the gifting God gives. Why? So that he gets his glory the difference between self-promotion is we get our glory. You've got it. And it'll die just as quick as you built it. But when God promotes, he gets the glory. It's a very different story. And we realize that the man that Joseph was at 17, God was orchestrating something in a life. Why? Because a nation needed to be saved all those years later. A nation. Not just a nation, but his family. Leads us to third point, the pitfall of jealousy. <laughs> says this in verse 18, when they saw him, these are his brothers. See, they've been getting grumpy. He's been wearing his fancy jacket, daddy's favorite. says they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, 
Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of his hands. He had a plan to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. Let's just process that for a second. Again, this is not mythology. This is history. Ten brothers plot to kill their brother. One decides, and the one who should have got the birthright, should have got the blessing from the father, says, actually, I need to spare his life. Reuben, the oldest, he should have got it. He says, I need to spare his life. So they come up with a plan, and they chuck him in a pit, and that's going to end in death. They sit down to have a meal. That's what jealousy does. You just want to, I'm just a bit jealous, but I'm going to honor. I'm just a bit jealous. No, it just will always lead to a hardness of heart, carnality in our actions, and chaos. And they strip him of his tunic, which I'm going to do right now because I'm sweating. Thanks. And um, it carries on. And the end of the thing is, is these traders, these slave traders come through, and Joseph gets sold as a slave. It ends up that he ends up in Egypt to Potiphar. He gets sold to Potiphar and becomes who was the captain of the guard. And there's a progression in their hatred. It starts like this. Um, they hated him in verse 4. They couldn't speak a word to him in verse 5. They hated him all the more in verse 8. They hated him all the more and all the more in verse 11. They were jealous of him. Why? Well, it says first, he brought a bad report about them. Oh, that's his... I mean, let's be honest. Now, he was in lying. You don't know his motivation. But he brings a bad report to his older brothers. That's a challenge. Secondly, daddy gives him the coat. Third, he gets given the seeming role of responsibility. And then he comes with the dreams. And the immaturity. And they're going, really? Pipsqueak? You're going to rule over us? My youngest decided to give his 12-year-old brother, who is so compliant and loving and gentle, and I just told him the other day, stop it. Next time he does that, sort him out. Because he's nine years old, he needs to know that his 12-year-old brother is not going to take that rubbing. Because one day, someone's really going to sort him out. And there's a reality in our lives that we need to understand that the chaos of promotion in other people's lives, and I'm telling you, it doesn't just happen in the world. It happens in the church. Many have jealousy in their hearts because of the fancy coats others can wear in church. I've seen it. I've been in church my whole life. Welcome to the reality of it. Wow, that promotion, not just in church, in life. Oh, God, why are you? And, 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 and why is that guy selling houses and I'm not? Why? Is, is that guy's business doing that? And I'm not. And I want to tell you, I don't have the answers. But I, I know that if we allow jealousy into our hearts, it will cause chaos. And there's a guy who handled jealousy. His name was John the Baptist. His ministry was rocking, top of the charts. Their worship ministry selling CDs around the world. And then a guy named Jesus arrives and starts to poof. And everyone's leaving John's ministry and going there. And his disciples come and say, John. John, there's a problem. They're going to this Jesus guy. You know his amazing answer? You want to know an answer of maturity? A man can receive only what is given from heaven. Take the pressure off your bosses. Take the pressure off the industry. Take the pressure off uh, economies. Take the pressure off and put faith in God. Because man can only receive what comes from heaven. So three pitfalls. Preference, immaturity, and jealousy. But I want to present as we land this morning, we're going to take communion together. 
is that the pitfalls don't limit the God of the universe. He's still the God in the pit. And I want to speak about the perfect pit of providence as we look at this concept of God always being in control. The perfect pit. You can bring that. Thanks, Mark. And David, David was in the safest place he could ever be when fighting Goliath. You know that? Let me say it again. David was in the safest place he could ever be when on that battlefield fighting Goliath. Why? So God of heaven was with him. Daniel was in the best place he could ever be when he was in the pit with the lion. And so Joseph's sitting there, 17 years old. His brothers have just sold him into slavery. He's in a pit. But there's a God in heaven who saw it all. He knew there'd be famines because he uses famines throughout his word. He'll use them in our lives and he used them in his Bible. Don't be shocked. Why? Because he's committed to the processing of his grace, his calling, and his gifting in your life and mine. So I can be sitting in the pit at 17 years old, just being sold by my brothers. My dad thinks I'm dead. He waved goodbye to me, and it was the last time he saw his favorite for 20 years. So we come to a scripture that gets thrown around the church so glibly and put on bumper stickers, and it's on the fridge. And we know that in all things good, God works for the good. No. We know that in all things, in the pit and prime minister, when it's terrible and when it's great, when the interest rates are down and when they're up, God works all things for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Joseph received the dream. He had been called. He had been called. It's always a challenging thing when you've been called, but you're not walking in it yet. There's this liminality. There's this chaos of the in-between. It's the young boy who's been called a man and goes out to go on his ritual of entering into manhood, but he's not a man yet. He's only a man when he comes back. It's the young boys who go out on circumcision journeys, and they're not a man yet. It's the, the grace we need to forward on to our young people finishing schools who are trying to navigate life. And they've yes, they're 18 and they can drive a car, but they don't know who they are. And the world's shouting chaos at them. Be gracious with them. That's all I ask. We have a tendency to be harsh in the church with young people. Be gracious with them. Why? Because they're in the perfect place if they know who their God is. And I just imagine Joseph sitting in the pit going, oh, what if I hadn't put that jacket on? What, what if I hadn't have told the dream? Probably the second one wasn't a good one, was it? What if... Tell, tell me you've never done it. Imagine I had have studied a bit harder at school where I'd be now. Imagine I hadn't had that last drink that night that changed my life. Imagine I hadn't married this person or that story. God says, stop. Let me remind you who I am. The God of heaven and earth the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You think the pit's the end of your story? It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. It's just the start. Because I'm writing a much bigger story that no man, no king of this earth can cut in on. If you'll trust me, if you'll hold on to me, if you'll believe the blood. See, God knew he needed a man who knew what it was like to come out of a pit, even though he landed probably on the back of a donkey or being dragged. 
He needed a man who'd been through that situation because one day he needed a man who could take a country out of a pit. A pit of famine. When everyone seems to lose their heads. Because one day would come a man who would leave perfection to enter into the pit of sin and chaos. One day would come a perfect son. See, Joseph wasn't a perfect son. And Jacob was a far from perfect dad. But the perfect father had to send a perfect son to the pit of sin and brokenness so that those stuck in the pit who can't get out Fear raging, hand-me-downs all over them of de- deception, depression, sexual immorality, chaos, just that's all that they've got. Even that being stripped, God had to send that man so they could come out of the pit, come out of the cave. That a blood that never fails could be poured out. See, Jesus is everywhere. And the pit of perfect providence was the Father always watching over Joseph's life. I'm not promising you we'll preach this story so we'll all just walk into promotions tomorrow. It's not why I'm preaching. It's not why I'm preaching for my heart. I've had to lay down some titles to take a hold of what God's asked of me. You're only accountable for what God asked of you. You aren't accountable for what he asked of me and I'm not accountable for what he's asked of you. But we are accountable for what he's asked of each of us. What has God asked of you? When last did you stop and think about it? What has he asked of you? What has he given you and only you? Can we take communion together in this moment? You'll find those little miracle meals around I'll give some of you whose eyes aren't so good a little moment extra to open them. Can we stand together? I am, I've been undone reading the story of Joseph. To be honest, I just want to jump to the end. I just want to jump ahead. I get so excited. I didn't want to preach about the pits because they're the pits. No one likes the pits. And I'll keep fighting for 19-year-old, 20-year-old young men who are in the pits of their lives and making the worst decisions of their lives. Because when I was 20 years old and making terrible decisions, God was so gracious to me. So we come to this one who we sing, and he says, remember, remember, remember my body that was broken. Maybe you're in the pit and your legs are broken right now. The pit of depression, pit of pain, the pit of anxiety. Now my preaching will encourage you for a few moments, but there's one. He can sustain you eternally. Eternally. He said, I will have my body broken so that those who are broken could be made whole. I preach this gospel because that is my lifelong desire 
to see broken bodies, broken minds, broken lives, broken families made whole. I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus is able every time, every time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.